Good morning. It's good to be here. Good morning. Why don't we start with prayer? Pray. Father, we come before you. We need to hear from your word. We are hungry. We thirst for your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your word. We pray that you would help us to see inconsistencies, sins, wrong thinking in our lives and change it. We pray that this morning that you would cause us to have hearts that are pliable and open to your word. And Lord, even if we are excelling in it, we pray, Father, we would excel still more. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have some notes there. I think they're usually taken up. Is, is it all gone? Uh, okay. We have some notes there. And what I wanted to talk about, in Ephesians chapter 3, we have this unfolding. And what Paul starts to do is he repeats himself because he, he wants to make sure that the message is said across, told across, clearly understood. And he's talking about this thing that we're going to discuss this morning is the multicultural church. Now, sometimes when you say multicultural or when you say diversity or things like that, what tends to occur is people sometimes, they might even have a shield or a block and they would say, what is this about? Why is this here? Is this really biblical? And I think it is. I think God desires for us to be a multicultural church. He desires for churches to be multicultural. It wasn't really until college that I, that I was faced with really strong cultural divides in the church. Remember when um, I was in Santa Barbara, I was in invited to an Asian Christian club. Everyone there were Asians and Christians. I remember that when they invited me, they said, you're Asian, why don't you come? I think that's, that was my qualification. I was a Christian and I was Asian. Come! Something about it was unsettling, actually. It was unsettling. I couldn't put my finger on it. Something about it was unsettling. I haven't had a chance to really think about it at that time, but I just wasn't sure. I thought about how I was saved in high school and how I tried to share the gospel with Filipinos and Chinese people and Vietnamese people and African Americans and Middle Easterners. Caucasians and Mexicans and Central Americans. I tried to share the gospel with the wrestlers and the swimmers and the divers and the football players and the tennis players and those in the model United Nations. I tried to share the gospel with the jocks and the nerds, the leadership crowd, the exchange students the new immigrants, the teachers, and the coaches. I tried to share the gospel with the broken and the popular, with the outcast and the homecoming king and homecoming queen. Back in college at this Asian Christian club, you could imagine my dismay. It was hard enough to invite someone to hear the preaching of the word of God, let alone an Asian one. 
I asked the leaders why they are focusing on reaching out to only Asians. And they said, we want to reach our people and it's more comfortable. Needless to say, I stopped going and I went to a group that desired to reach out to all cultures. But later, as I studied God's word more, I realized why it was so unsettling. Having a ministry philosophy that only ministers to one culture at the exclusive alienation of another is sin. I say that again. Having a ministry philosophy that only ministers to one culture at the exclusive alienation of another is sin. Now, I'm not talking about linguistic limitations. Rather, a philosophy that excludes other cultures is not in line with the very redemption plan of Christ. Look at the text, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of, notice he says, you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight to the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, here it is, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would yearn for a multicultural church. This is not a good thing to have. This is not a nice thing to have. It's not a hip thing to have. It's a biblical thing to have. God gave this passage to you so that you would yearn for a multicultural church. We will see that God is about having a multicultural, diverse church to bring glory to his son. The greater the diversity of peoples who worship Christ, greater kinds of people who worship Christ, the greater different kinds of backgrounds and different cultures and different um, paths from where they come from, the greater diversity of, of the peoples who worship Christ, the greater glory he receives. This is true because his greatness and his majesty is now worshipped across cultural lines. People groups who would not normally be together maybe even be antagonistic to each other, 
that stay together for, the, for Christ bring much glory to him. In other words, folks that would never have anything to do with one another, when the world sees us work together, when the world sees us as a unified body, when the world sees us as truly brothers and sisters, they say, what is that? And when our response is, it's because of what Christ has done, they say, that is true unity. His worth and his value is esteemed despite language, culture, background, and economic standing. Now, to yearn for a multicultural church, there are two biblically founded convictions which must rule your thinking and life. There are two biblically founded convictions which must rule your thinking and life. It's got to dominate you. This is not a side doctrine. You understand? God himself has sent his son to die on the cross. And now he's including people, Gentiles, who are strange to the people of God, Israel, into the body. It is not a minor doctrine. This is a redemptive plan doctrine. This is a missions doctrine. This is the doctrine that God himself has planned out for us. So the first conviction is, Believe God designed a multi multicultural church. Believe God designed a multicultural church. Quite frankly, sadly, many folks do not believe this is high on God's agenda. They think that perhaps, you know, we can just keep going on and, you know, the, uh, reaching the nations or reaching other people groups and doing other things like that. That's for missionaries who we send a check to and we're done with them. They don't understand that it is high on God's agenda that not only we reach to other nations, but that in us individually, we would have a personal mission that spans across our comfortable lines that spans across our comfortable backgrounds, that goes right through that and says, I am going to risk my comfort, risk ridicule, and I'm going to cross this cultural line and welcome, or I'll share the gospel, and I'll bring them in. Why? Because it's God's design. God planned this. This is not, a, this is not an uh, RBC man-made thing. This is a God-planned thing. God wants this. He wants many different kinds of people worshiping him. Notice, it was revealed to Paul in verse 3. In fact, in, in Paul's mind, he couldn't even conceive of it. In Peter's mind, if you remember, there had to be a sheet coming down with unclean things for him to eat. And he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat. And it's a metaphor of calling that which is Gentiles into the body of Christ. In fact, the book of Acts is talking about it. They had to have a meeting. Are they Christians? Should we welcome them? Should we bring them in? Why? Because they're prejudiced. And they're comfortable, they're comfortable living of what is status quo in religion stopped them, prevented them from welcoming people. Now you think this is a Jewish problem, but brothers and sisters, this, is, this can be our problem too. I only want to share the gospel with nice families who have nice kids in a nice 
uh, upper middle class neighborhood. That's who I just want to share the gospel with. That's who I want to do it. Or I only want to share uh, uh, the gospel with just, you know, I just know Asians a little bit more over here. Or I just know Caucasians better. I'm just going to share it with them. No, you cannot have this mindset, brothers and sisters. You cannot. Why? Because God himself didn't have this mindset for you. If you were to call it, Jesus Christ was in his own divine culture with the triune God before heaven and earth even existed. Completely happy with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And he left that culture to learn a new one and to come into ours. And he died on the cross that we would be all brought into one family. And so with Paul... It had to be made known. That's a passive voice. It had to be revealed to him. In fact, he said here that it was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And he uses this language. What is mystery? It is simply something previously unknown, but now openly declared. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't figure it out. Gentiles, notice in verse 6, are to be included in the church alongside the Jewish believers without distinction. See, this was unheard of. It ran against their supposed prejudices. And Paul says it had to happen. What? How did it happen? By revelation. God himself had to speak to me, to tell me. It means to disclose, to reveal, to uncover. Now, these are, these are some implications, okay? If this is revelation, and if this is truly connected to the cross, this has to be a major doctrine, not a minor doctrine, okay? And you have to have that in your heart and in your mind that I'm going to fight this, because this is what human nature does, okay? Human nature wants to be like the high school. What do I mean by that? You go to the cafeteria, you got the nerds on one side, you got the jocks on another side, and then you got the Filipinos playing volleyball on the other side, and then you got the... Do you, this, is, this was my experience, right? People tend to stick with people who what, have the same interests or look like them, smell like them, right? Be like them. But what God has called us to do is not just to be a people who reaches, but to reach out to different kinds of people. It's that important to him. It's his design. And sometimes that puts you on the defensive because that's scary. I've never been in that culture. I've never done that. I've never spoken to that kind of a person. It's not to be regulated to minimal treatment. This doctrine, this is what drives missions. This is what drives the gospel. Now, let me tell you, and I've seen it, okay? I've seen it in certain churches, and I'm not going to name names, but I have seen it in churches where the church only relies and only focuses on one culture, and the gospel gets diluted. In fact, the gospel even dies. The gospel dies because it is no longer being spread in the nations. 
It's no longer being spread to other peoples. It's only focusing on our families and our cultures and our comfortabilities and our little cliques. And that is not the essence of Christianity from the get-go. The essence of Christianity has always been what? Go to the nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go, go, having gone. Acts chapter 1 says what? You will receive power and then you will be witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea, and other parts of the earth. It's always been an evangelistic spreading religion, philosophy, view. That's what Christianity is. It's always expansive, growing. It runs along the very reason Christ himself came. Come to Luke chapter 2. Now watch what they call Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And you notice his mission. Luke chapter 2. This runs in the very grain of why Christ came. Okay? Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 27. And I'm going to read to 34. Okay. 27. Notice. He came in the spirit into the temple. We remember this story. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry him out for the custom of the law, then he took with him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant. This is Simeon, right? To depart in peace. Now I can die, he's saying. For my eyes have seen what? Your salvation. Look at verse 31. Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here's the very heartbeat of Christ himself. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Notice what is Jesus' mission? Is it just a light to Israel? Is it a light to Jews? He says, no. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Paul said, God revealed this to me. God told me this. God took the time to make sure that you know this. Go back to Ephesians with me, to Ephesians chapter 3. God designed this multicultural church and he sent revelation to tell Paul. Notice he used Paul as the instrument. He says, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship. Paul, we know Paul right now is writing from prison. And what he is, is he is a prisoner of Rome. And Paul says, I, you know what? Even though I'm under these circumstances and even though I am in prison and even though it's a difficult time for me, you know, my perspective is this, that I am not really a prisoner of Rome. I'm not really a prisoner of the Jews. I'm really a prisoner of Christ. I really do his bidding. I really am his, his spokesperson. I really am in, under his control, even though it looks bad right now. He says, this is what I have been called to do. Believe that his ultimate authority over him was Christ himself. And in, of course, he repeats, for the sake 
of you Gentiles for the purpose of salvation of the Gentiles. And then he's, and of course, he's saying in paraphrase, if you were to paraphrase it, he's saying to the Gentiles, you are welcome. In other words, Paul is stating this to tell the Gentiles, remember he says you, he says, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong here. This doctrine is welcoming. This doctrine of God and Christ receiving worship from all nations welcomes us, brings us home. Then he goes on and he says there's a responsibility. Responsibility. He says here, a a stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. The word there for stewardship means management, administration. And it has this term that discusses taking over something for someone else. In other words, the preaching of the gospel, the dispensing of this, and not just that Christ died on the cross for the sins of man, but that Christ died on the cross for the sins of all kinds of men. That's the flavor that Paul is now saying. Of all kinds of men. And he says, I have that responsibility. I have to do it. And he says it's a stewardship of God's grace. That is God's power and his sustaining strength. The stewardship. Uh, He talks about this gospel ministry in other places. And let me just read this text. I'll read it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But I I have used none of these things. I am not writing these things that it may be done. So in my case, it would be better for me to die than any man make my boast an empty one. And then he says in verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. And then he says in uh, verse 16, for I'm under compulsion. For woe it is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul knows and he internalizes it and he knows it as a fact that God has called him to preach this gospel. But not only that, that he feels it internally. I've got to preach. I've got to tell them. I hope that's how you see people. My prayer is that that's your heart and that you're not just going through your life on your smartphone saying, I've got this checklist of things to do. I've got to get all of this done. But rather you stop and you put the phone down and you look at the people around you and you say, this person needs the word of God. This person needs Christ. I don't even know how to bridge that. I find it very, very, uh, very challenging. I put myself in a, in a place where I can share the gospel to different kinds of people. And one, one and just let me, let me uh, share with you. I've, I share with a, I try and share the gospel with this single Hispanic lady um, throughout the week. I try to share the gospel with this homeschooling mom, Roman Catholic of five kids. I try to share the gospel with this Marine guy, African-American, buffed to the T, muscles coming out of here, right? I try to share the gospel with, um, I try to share the gospel with uh, other folks. Uh, I, I had this wonderful conversation. I didn't even know how to do it. I don't even know how to share the gospel with certain people because I, I try and figure it out. 
okay, I got to get to Christ. How am I going to do it? Don't let your own stereotypes. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. There's a big R word, right? Your own stereotypes, your own prejudices, your own comfortabilities stop you. Don't do it. Because when you allow that, it is stopping the very gospel itself. It's God's design. And he says here, it was, it's declared to you. Look at verse 4. He says, you can understand my insight. My insight. I want to read another text to you talking about Paul's stewardship. He is impelled. Maybe you come with me. Um, he says it, the same thing in Colossians, but he says it in a, you get a different light, a different flavor. In Colossians chapter 1, Notice in verse 25, he says this in verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according, again, he uses that same word, it's the second time. Um, the word is oikonia, where we get the word economy or management or administration. Okay? I get this, I have this burden. I have this work that I have to do from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out or make up full or fill out full the word of God. That is, here it says, verse 26. He says the same language, the mystery. What's the mystery? Which has been hidden from the past, ages and generations, and has now been manifested to the saints. That's the declaration. That's the definition of mystery, okay? To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of glory. Here it is. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let not your own comfortability and your own prejudices and your own preferences stop you from sharing the same hope that would fill someone else. Can I say that's, can I say that's sin? I think, yeah, I think so. Because it runs against the very grain of why Christ himself died. This was not insight from himself or from his own imagination or intellect. Rather, it's insight given to him by God. And then it says in verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. In fact, Abraham didn't really understand. Isaiah didn't really understand. The psalmist didn't really understand. We already uh, cited Abraham, but in the Psalms, and I'll just read it to you, he says that they, thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all nations. Isaiah said it this way, it is too small a thing, verse 49 and, and 6, it is too small a thing that he should, you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, he goes in Ephesians, which is, which is nice, and which is clear in Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us what the mystery is. And in verse 6, he says, to be specific, okay, that was added there, but here he is going to tell us very in very plain languages, 
plain language, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what it means. It means they have all the rights and privileges of Jewish believers. It means that any person who names the name of Christ as their Savior and truly believes has all the rights and privileges of a Christian. We have the same status. Notice he says that they are fellow heirs. These are fellow heirs of those who were at one time in verse 12, they were alienated, excluded. We have the same family. Notice it says we are fellow members of the body. There are no second class individuals. All had full privileges within the body. Every child of God is legitimate and can enjoy the privileges. They have the same relationship with Christ. They are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Anything that belongs to Christ and was made available to Christians are yours. It is God's design that we all share in this. Amen? We all worship together. We all are forgiven. We all are sons and daughters of God if we've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We all uh, enjoy the benefits of fellowship with one another. Now, Notice how he says, you are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers. Why does Paul do that? You got to think about it. He says, you Gentiles, remember your fellow heirs, fellow partakers, fellow members of the body. I think there's a question there. Have you, let's flip the script, okay? Now, instead of just welcoming others, right? Let's flip the script. Have you ever felt like an outsider before? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Let me, um, let me tell you the end of the story. So I didn't go to the Asian Christian group, but I went to this other group, okay, that focused on reaching out to everybody. But all they ever got, Caucasian people. Okay. So here I am, okay, going into this group. Now I'm the outsider. Do you understand? And now I'm feeling it, okay? Are you, are you with me? I'm just being honest. Are you with me? So now I'm feeling it, and I'm feeling, okay, all right, stand off a little bit, okay? And I'm uncomfortable. Why? Because I'm from up north. These people are all from down south. I'm Filipino, I have black hair and brown eyes. They are all white and blonde and blue eyes. Do you understand? Do you understand how this is working? Now, now it's an opposite, okay? Now, I'm over here. Uh, I, I was relatively poor growing up, right? These guys, man, they come. Mommy and daddy gives them credit cards to Nordstrom's, and they had sports cars all in college and everything, and they just had anything they wanted, right? And as I, but as I came across, now I'm in this Christian group thinking, right? And now I have to think. Now the tables are turned. You're following me. Okay. The tables are turned. Now it's go time. Okay. Are you 
going to let your own comfortability now prevent you from fellowshipping with them. You see? Because you always think it's on the outside. Now we welcome people. No, what about you now? And so Paul is addressing this. What does he say? Do you remember in verse 1? He says, you Gentiles. Remember, he's talking to the Gentiles. And he says, when you feel like an outcast, when you feel like you don't belong, when you feel like you've been alienated, remember this. Remember. You're a joint heir. You're a joint member. You are a joint part of the body of Christ. A joint partaker. And you know what? This is exactly what happened. I said, in my mind, and it had rudimentary theology, okay? This is exactly what happened. I said, okay, I could just not go to fellowship and just kind of go to college and just party my way through college and become a train wreck a shipwreck, or I could commit myself to the group even though I don't have any real connections. And I, and I sat there and I, it's decision time, correct? Are you following me? Am I talking about a situation that you guys ever been in? Never? Never. Never. Okay, I'm trying to explain it to you. Imagine that with me, okay? So no, now I have to dive in, but now, all I remember is this. Well, I'm a Christian and I'm saved. And I've been forgiven. They say they're Christians and they're saved. They're forgiven. We should be brothers and sisters. So I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to let the differences chap my hide. I'm not going to let the differences get between us. In fact... Christ is more important to me than these differences. I'm a Christian first before I'm Filipino-American. Right? I hope you think that way. You are a Christian first before you are Caucasian or Filipino-American or Chinese-American or whatever stripe you come in. You are a Christian first. And what happened when I, by God's grace, this is God's grace, okay? When I relied on the truth that is in the Scripture, you could fellowship with anyone. Why? Because you're not the center anymore. God is. Christ bought that fellowship. Why are you resisting it? And this was what hurts the church. This is what hurts fellowship is when we allow those differences to drive us, to drive a wedge between true, sweet, authentic fellowship. I remember Jesse was saying, what if I bring this person and, you know, they look strange and this person looks strange. And what if I, I said, bring them in. We'll love on them and share the gospel with them. Bring them in. Why? Because we expect them to all be different. Amen? God doesn't want to just save one people. He wants to save many. Now, he says, of which I was made a minister now, how do you yearn for a multicultural church? First, believe God designed a multicultural church. Second, God guaranteed a multicultural church. He will have it whether or not you are on board. God is going to have it. 
whether or not you are on board. I, for one, and the heart of RBC, desire to be on board. And this is why we're supporting missionaries in Spain and the Philippines. And this is why we would like to support more. This is why we would like to do different works, right? Notice in verses 8, 8 through 12. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that which is the administration of the ministry of the, the administration Unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light the administration of the mystery. Now notice he says, this grace was given, and Paul talks about again, that he was given sustaining power and sustaining uh, strength to preach the gospel. He says he's the least of all saints, and if you remember in 1 Timothy, he said that I was foremost, and, and the way I see that is that Paul, he, he calls himself foremost, that he led the charge of persecution against the church. But then he says this, this uh, a fantastic, fantastic uh, phrase. This is how God guarantees a multicultural church. He sends the preaching of his word. And from Christian history, in its beginnings, there's always been preachers and teachers of his word who are filled with Christ and desire to preach Christ. And notice he says here, to preach the gent to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And that's our theme again, that living richly in Christ. The word therefore unfathomable is it can't be tracked. It's unsearchable. It's inscrutable. It's too much to be measured. It's infinite. It's beyond one's ability to imagine. And then the riches are his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, his forgiveness, his election, his regeneration, his salvation. All the things of Ephesians 1 and all the things of Ephesians 2. He's talking about that. And as you have this package, and as you think about it, you ought to be filled with grace, uh, thankfulness and gratefulness in your heart. But the preacher's uh, the desire and the preacher's job and the preacher's uh, stewardship is to preach Christ and him richly that the saints would receive the riches of Christ that they would dwell and live here that they wouldn't dwell and live in famine of his word that they wouldn't dwell and live and be discouraged he wants you to be filled with Christ and that is what brings people from every tribe tongue and nation, and I just want to, um, as I'm going on, he says to bring to light the administration of the ministry, but notice in verse 11, as we're just kind of moving along, the way that God has called out the church and the way that he ensures that it's going to be guaranteed that there will be people from every tribe and every nation is he will send preachers and teachers and he will plant churches that do that that's it and if a church is not preaching and teaching a gospel for all men he's going to use another church he's going to use another preacher do you understand this is his heart this is his passion and just so that you don't you don't think that this is just up to us. Look at it, verse 11. He says, this was in accordance with his eternal purpose. This is exactly what God desires for us to do. And this is exactly 
the place where God wants you to be. Your fellow heir, fellow member. He says, which he carried out in Jesus Christ, and in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Let me read a very uh, end with this. Go with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. This multicultural, multicultural church is what he has in mind. And you got to remember, it's not just, okay, we take care of our own and that culture takes care of their own. And that's the easiest way to deal with it. No, Paul is talking to a mixed church in Ephesians, okay, which is to mirror the greater universal church that is going to happen in Revelation Chapter 7, and as John is talking about his, his view of what heaven is like in verse 9, I want you to read it with me. Look at this. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude. How big? How big? No one could count. Okay. There's so many people, no one couldn't count. And when, look, look what it says. Every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. They cry out with loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice he says here, every nation, all tribes, those are cultural terms. Brothers and sisters, the eternal purpose that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3 is culminated and is seen in fruition in Revelation chapter 7. They all come. They all are there. Now, brothers and sisters, are we going to be a church who will preach it to everyone? Are you going to do it? Oh, that's not my deal. Are you going to do it? Are you going to welcome those? And are you going to cross lines yourself on both sides of the aisle? Are you going to do it? To young people and to older people, are you going to do it? Do you yearn for what God yearns for? That is a church that has the multiplicity, the multicultural expression of hope and glory to Christ himself. Do these two convictions govern you? Do you believe that he has designed a multicultural church? And do you believe that he has guaranteed a multicultural church? Let those ride in your heart as you're scared to approach it. Let it ride in your heart. Let it control you. Let truth control you. Not your feelings, not your preferences. Let the truth control you. And we will celebrate in the end. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you that you have called us, all of us, to be witnesses and to not be afraid and to not hide it. You are the light to all nations. You are the solution to their sin problem. You are the, the payment for their forgiveness. And we pray, Father, that we would be used. Oh, God, may we be a welcoming and loving people. 
May we not be um, exclusive because of culture. The only exclusion is Christ himself who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oh Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to be the family you've called us to be. Joint heirs, joint members, joint partakers. We praise you. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.